orders to a defunct laboratory. Zero plus zero equals zero. It's all very funny if one only knew when to laugh. Colonel. Yes? They are your orders now. What do you propose to do with them? Do with them? What the hell is there to do? Six men against four hundred million? I suppose, he added, to make everything nice and tidy for the military mind, I should write out a discharge from the United States Army for everybody left and kiss him goodbye. I don't know where that leaves me. Harakiri, perhaps. Maybe you don't get it. This is all the United States there is left, and it's left because the Pan-Asians haven't found it. Ardmore wet his lips. Apparently I did not clearly convey the order. The order was to take charge and prosecute the war. With what? He measured Calhoun before answering. It is not actually your responsibility. Under the changed situation, in accordance with the Articles of War, as senior line officer present, I am assuming command of this detachment of the United States Army. It hung in the balance for twenty heartbeats. At last Calhoun stood up and attempted to square his stooped shoulders. You are perfectly correct, sir. What are your orders? What are your orders? he asked himself. Think fast, Ardmore, you big lunk. You've shot off your face. Now where are you? Calhoun was right when he asked, with what? Yet he could not stand still and see the remnant of military organization fall to pieces. You've got to tell him something, and it's got to be good, at least good enough to hold him until you think of something better. Stall, brother, stall. I think we had best examine the new situation here first. Colonel, will you oblige me by having the remaining personnel gather around, say, around that big table? That will be convenient. Certainly, sir. The others, having heard the order, moved toward the table. Graham, and you, what's your name? Thomas, isn't it? You two remove Captain McAllister's body to some other place. Put him in the corridor for now. The commotion of getting one of the ubiquitous corpses out of the way and getting the living settled around a table broke the air of unreality and brought things into focus. Ardmore felt more self-confidence when he turned again to Calhoun. You had better introduce me to those here present. I want to know what they do and something about them, as well as their names. It was a corporal's guard, a forlorn remnant. He had expected to find, hidden here, safely and secretly away, under an unmarked spot in the Rocky Mountains, the most magnificent aggregation of research brains ever gathered together for one purpose. Even in the face of complete military disaster to the regular forces of the United States, there remained a reasonable outside chance that two hundred-odd keen scientific brains, secreted in a hideaway whose very existence was unsuspected by the enemy and equipped with every modern facility for research, might conceivably perfect and operate some weapon that would eventually drive out the Pan-Asians. For that purpose he had been sent to tell the commanding general that he was on his own, no longer responsible to higher authority. But what could half a dozen men do in any case? For it was a scant half a dozen. There was Dr. Lowell Calhoun, mathematician, jerked out of university life by the exigencies of war and called a colonel. There was Dr. Randall Brooks, biologist and biochemist, with a special commission of major. Ardmore liked his looks. He was quiet and mild, but gave the impression of an untroubled strength of character superior to that of a more extroverted man. He would do, and his advice would be useful.
Ardmore mentally dubbed Robert Wilkie a punk kid. He was young and looked younger, having an overgrown collie dog clumsiness and hair that would not stay in place. His field, it developed, was radiation, and the attendant branches of physics, too esoteric for a layman to understand. Ardmore had not the slightest way of judging whether or not he was any good in his specialty. He might be a genius, but his appearance did not encourage the idea. No other scientist remained. There were three enlisted men, Herman Shear, technical sergeant. He had been a mechanic, a dime maker, a tool maker. When the Army picked him up, he had been making precision instruments for the laboratories of the Edison Trust. His brown square hands and lean fingers backed up his account of himself. His lined, set face and heavy jaw muscles made Ardmore judge him to be a good man to have at his back in a tight place. He would do. There remain.